One of my mentors told me, reminded me, that ministry, Skylar, is going to happen on the hoof, which is to say it's going to happen on the go. As much as I'd like to have a pristine environment where I've prepared, prayed, and created an opportunity, an atmosphere even, uh, for growth and challenge to happen, so often ministry, he would remind me, happens on the hoof. I can't go through the drive-thru and buy it, but it has to happen as, as we go. Let me illustrate this. Since the pandemic has, has entered our neighborhoods, uh, Eleanor and I, my three-year-old, have been riding my bike quite a bit. And we were over at Laurel Hill Cemetery visiting some of the graves of, of those that we have lost here in, in our First Presbyterian Church family. And along the way, you can probably anticipate what I'm about to say. Eleanor uh, asked me from sitting behind me in her little seat, Daddy, is this where we go when we're old? Daddy, is this where we go when we die. Now, in that moment, I was really wishing that I had a book titled How to Talk to Your Three-Year-Old About Death, but I didn't. And I was forced to, to talk to her on the go, literally. You see, Jesus' ministry, as, as we look at it, as, as we see his earthly ministry, what, what we find is between destinations, he is doing some of his richest teaching. He is providing some of the uh, most glorious ministry on the hoof that you could imagine. And they've been preserved for us here in the Gospels. So today we continue our series, First Things, Exploring the Priorities for a Good Life. And today we're going to look at the priority of pause, specifically the priority of prayer. And what we're going to find is that it's as Jesus is going on the way, on the hoof, that he dispenses some of the richest teaching on this priority, prayer. Won't you join me in Luke chapter 11? We're reading uh, the first uh, 13 verses. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get going. God, your word is a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. Show us the way this morning. Amen. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples to pray. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation." And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. 
This is God's word. It's absolutely true and given to us in love. There's a family recipe that is special to us. My granny made a chocolate pound cake that was sublime. And we've kept that recipe and we've attempted to recreate that wonderful chocolate pound cake on special occasions. But as you might guess, we've not been able to reduplicate it exactly. Another example, if, if you've not had Tammy Wolf's chocolate chip cookies, or as Eleanor would say, Miss Wolf's yummy cookies, you've not yet lived. These things are delicious. We've not even tried to recreate those. I've had another, one of our small group leaders baked a carrot cake, and it was delicious. Maybe you've got one of these recipes floating around in your family that you're really proud of, and, and even with the recipe, you just can't seem to match the quality, uh, the uniqueness of the original. Sometimes we call this the X factor or the made with love factor. Whatever it is, there's just something missing. There's something different. Jesus has this strange question posed to him by his followers. These Jewish men ask him, will you teach us how to pray? Folks, they had heard their mothers, their fathers, their elders. They had heard prayers their life long. In fact, they had probably memorized a dozen of them. And yet they come across or they see Jesus praying and they're like, Master, will you, will you show us how you just did that? What they're witnessing is some sort of wisdom at work with, with what's being offered and, and the person doing it. Uh, you might say an integrity. There, it's just there's such congruence with the prayer and, and what he's saying and, and who he's talking to. I think about the, the cake instant, you know, the, the illustration of the cake. You know, there's something about, she, Granny must have had a wisdom with how these ingredients work together. She may have had a unique technique that you simply couldn't transcribe on a recipe card. They're seeing something like that. And Jesus said, Jesus, show us how you do that. You see, we, we ask that question a lot of Jesus. And it's, it's a noble question. We're, we'll talk about it a little bit later. But he says, you ask me how, and I give you Who? The tendency when, when we begin to ask how only questions is, particularly as it relates to prayer, we, we can, perhaps unmistakably, begin to trivialize prayer on the one hand, or uh, perhaps blindly, on the other hand, begin to make a show of it. Trivialize or make a show. And when we ask the questions of how, we're ultimately, when we say, God, give me the recipe for prayer, if, if it ends there, we're really reducing reducing this priority that he's given to us to have. So we ask, Lord Jesus, how do we develop a life of prayer? How do we come, become a prayer for people? How does this priority of Paul's through prayer become a priority for our lives? We ask, and he says, remember who you're talking to. First, he's going to remind us, remember the one to whom you're talking has all authority. Second, remember the one to whom you're talking has given you all access. All authority, all access. We ask how. He responds with, with who? Who you're talking to. So first, we, to develop, to cultivate a life of prayer, we must first realize that we're talking to the one who has all authority. We see this right away in, in this prayer that you've likely come across even if you've not been grown up in the church, the Lord's Prayer, as we call it. 
Words like hallowed and kingdom and give and forgive and lead. All these things come together. You see, Jesus isn't offering a simple recipe. He's, he's saying right away through each of these lines, disciples, you and me, the person that we're talking to is in charge. He's got, all, he, he's, he's got everything at his fingertips. Our culture's uh, infatuated with with this idea of being able to curry followers and, and subscribers and supporters. And it's, it's really hard work. Ask someone who's built a platform, either through YouTube or, or Instagram or something like this. It, it takes a ton of work, lots of preparation. You see, the, the type of power that, that, that God has at his fingertips comes from, from places like Habakkuk 2.14, where like a dam that will break and the waters will go forward. This is what it will be like when God decides to let his glory roll. It's going to cover the earth, not because someone liked his account, but because he chose to give it all to reveal himself fully. This is the authority he has. We see that he's a king, which means he has the authority to make things right. Aren't you desperate to have a king in your life? to fix the wrongs, the big ones and the small ones. He gives us our food. I know this isn't a, a normal concept for us here in the West that have a means uh, to, to, to get food, but the, the point is that prayer leads us to a posture of dependence and reliance. So many of our brothers and sisters still around the world are like, God, please give me food today. He's in charge. He has the authority to provide for your very daily needs. He forgives us. We're all running from shame and guilt. This is the problem with every human being. We, ever since our first parents tried to put the fig leaves on themselves when they were exposed and found out, they hid, and so do we. Whether it's erasing that search history off that app or, or that website, or maybe it's going on a shopping spree. Maybe you hide in leisure activities. I don't know. Maybe you hide in your work. But you see, Jesus is saying that a prayer life is developed when you begin to see that the one to whom you're praying has authority to do something about that shame and guilt problem forever. He leads us. He protects us. How, Lord? How do we have this prayer life? Jesus says, know that who you're talking to is creator. He, he is all-powerful. He can do this. And we're drawn to this. And, and I don't mean to say what I'm about to say at all in a shameful way. I'm hoping to actually redirect it and show that it's a part of your God-given DNA to want power, authority. You see, power is, is the reason that Ahmad Arbery is dead. There's a problem with, with power. Power is a reason that so many pastors have, have failed. Pa power is the reason that we're having these silly arguments about masks. You see, we want power, but we often are seduced by, by lesser and incomplete forms of it. And I think about the, the power of the celebrity culture, which I, I kind of referenced earlier. It, but it, it's ultimately just a, a vain, a, a pursuit of vanity. And see, Jesus is trying to tap into mine and your souls to say, you want power. I gave that desire to you. My invitation for you, what's going to happen when you begin to see that the one that you're talking to has all authorities? You're going to be drawn into that because you want it. But I'm here to offer you something that's so much more full, 
uh, stabilizing, fulfilling, and pure. Not a, not a gross form, not a, not a lustful form of power, but, but a pure and a righteous one. This is the person to whom we're praying. The one who has all authority. Second, we have to remember the one to whom has all authority has given us all the access. The prayer begins with the word Father. Now, we don't have time to dwell too much on this, but we've said it too much. It becomes mm, simple. This is marvelous. Only 15 times in the entire Old Testament is God given the title of Father. And each and every time, just about, it's referring to him as Father in terms of a provider, a creator, sort of a distanced uh, figure who provides and protects but 156 times Jesus uses this term from Matthew to the Gospel of John to tell us, his followers, what it is that we will call this one who has all authority. In other words, when he says, the disciples start this way, Father, he's saying, the one who has all this authority, the ways that you scramble after it in in mediocre ways, in painful ways, he wants you to call him Dad. He wants you to call him dad. J.I. Packer, a brilliant theologian, and likely his, his most prolific book, Knowing God, he writes this about what it means to be a Christian. Quote, Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he or she makes of the thought of being God's child. End quote. He has written about beautiful doctrine after beautiful doctrine, and, and he comes to this subject and says, This is the one. Jesus says, You're talking to your dad. You combine that with this humorous parable, which I hope you laughed at because I did. First century Palestine hospitality is, is, a, is a premium. In fact, it might be cultural value number one. And so a friend gets word that, that another a friend or you know, even someone less than that is coming over uh, and, and they need to be fed because this is what hospitality looked like. And somewhat socially unaware... This guy says, you know what, I'm just going to go to my next door neighbor. He's got a larger family. He probably has more bread than we do. Uh, Because after all, the bread-making business in first century Palestine is not um, convenient. It uh, it takes time every each and every day. So he goes and he starts knocking on the door. And inside, of course, as you can imagine the scene, the the father in there is like, go away. We just got the kids to bed. We're, We're asleep and you want bread. What's the worst that can happen to your friend? He's hungry while he sleeps, but he keeps rapping at this door. And the word is translated impudence. I've not used that word ever until I read this passage. It, and it literally means this sort of shameless boldness. It's as if Jesus is saying it, it's precisely because of his social unawareness, like his sort of not abiding by the, the norms of inconveniencing your neighbor, that he's saying are a good thing. We, we come to a parable like this and we're quick to say, all right, this is me, this is God. But I really don't want you to see God as the grumpy guy on the inside that says, hey, keep coming at me and eventually I'll get up out of my lazy chair and I'll help you out. Let's pray together. No, not at all. Jesus is sharing this perspective from from the person in need. And here's the point. 
taken with the word father, this, this, this intimate category that's never been given to the people of God until Jesus comes on the scene. With this parable of this friend in need, Jesus is saying, God is approachable to you. Jesus is saying, be as invasive as you like. You want a prayer life? See that the one who has all authority is on the other end. Furthermore, what will keep you coming back is when you see that not only does he have all the authority, but he has given you an access that knows no restrictions. God, I know you're, you're overseeing the development of a vaccine right now uh, for, for this pandemic, but I've had a really hard day. Me and my coworker are, are really at odds, and I, I would love to, to talk to you about that. Absolutely, son. Absolutely, daughter. I'm all ears. In fact, the moment you opened your mouth, I was ready to hear more. That boldness is the invitation to the child of God. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's, let's say I was at summer camp with some of your students, and I get back home, and, and Dory and I are checking in with one another, and I ask, you know, how was your time? And she responds something like, you know, I, I just don't want to bother you. Uh, with, with some of the things. And I said something like, good. Of course I wouldn't. For a thousand reasons, I wouldn't respond to her that way. But perhaps the most important reason I wouldn't is because I delight knowing she's the person, or I'm the person she comes to, to unburden her heart. And vice versa. In fact, if our relationship wasn't set up that way, it would likely be unhealthy. Do you see that as provocative as, as Jesus' um, invitation is to be invasive, that that's real, that, that that's true? It'd be unhealthy for you to go somewhere else, to numb it here, to forget about it there, to, to wish it away here and there. He says, come to me. I, I am undistracted for you. I will look you in the eye. I will hear you speak. I have it all, and you have all the access. I started from the beginning talking about a recipe, you know, baking the cake. And, um, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. T to ask for how to pray is a noble request. In fact, some of you may be hearing the, the conversation around prayer to be the first one you've heard in a while. And I just want to I just want to give you just a couple of, of practical ways that you might want to engage this. Uh, if, if either um, your prayer life is stale, um, God forbid, boring, or you just don't know. And I would just encourage you to, to start with Scripture. You see, one pastor, his name is Eugene Peterson, and, and he once wrote that prayer is um, the responding language, which is to say it's not the originating language. The, the life of prayer is a life of responding to God as he's spoken to us. So if you've never really prayed or, or things are becoming dull for you, turn to the Psalms. Begin to just read them and be thinking about the God who made you and the God who wants to be intimate in your life. Start simple. Start with Scripture. Because we know that there's a couple deadly ditches. Right? If, if the moment that we started moving away, uh, you know, at worst, we're just offering some babble. Um, 
and maybe on another ditch, we're, we're starting to this sort of self-soothing, superstitious kind of self-talk, right? I mean, we're, there's no one physically there, right? So if, if we're just rambling without any mooring, we will come become disillusioned quickly. So I encourage you to, to lean into the Scriptures to, to find your voice for prayer. A couple other resources. One would be a, a lectionary. And one that I've used is called the Daily Prayer Project. A Presbyterian church out of uh, the D.C. area produces this, and it's simple. It connects our prayers to Scripture, and, and I found it to be a great uh, resource uh, for simple everyday praying and connecting with God through, through the Scriptures. Another that our family has found for, for kids to join in on this is called Teach Us to Pray with a subtitle about uh, family worship or something like this. Check either of those out. You've also probably heard the ACTS method, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. These are great rubrics to think about prayer. But begin, begin today. Start simple, start with scripture. And as we sort of make our way toward the end of our time here, the passage says, knock, seek, it'll be given to you. Don't be discouraged that, that we pray out of ignorance. Your Father in heaven knows what you need before he asks. He's, he's not surprised by what you say, and he's not, uh, you know, he's not congratulating your ingenuity and your request. He knows exactly what you need. And therefore, it's a good thing to even pray out of our ignorance, because as we do, we begin to grow. We begin to experience his desires for us, taking root in our hearts. So let's get praying. But before you go, I need to remind you of one thing. My invitation, God's command, in fact, to pray, the law itself will not motivate you to do this. If anything, it'll have you coming back because you keep not doing it well enough. You keep forgetting. Uh, you, you don't feel like you're, you're getting anything out of it. And, and that cycle of, of likely shame will only send you further away. As you go to pray, let me remind you of this. This similar story is, is recorded in Matthew chapter 6, and you may have heard it, but God says, don't be like the hypocrites who, who stand at the street corner and just start heaping up words, babbling. He said, go into your closet in secret, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. Jesus went into the prayer closet, if you will, and he prayed perfectly Prayers of praise, prayers of confession, prayers of longing. And all the rewards, all the perfection of his prayers is held out to you and I by faith. So now the voice that you should be hearing as you slip up, as you forget, as you fail is, son, I'm so proud of you. Keep trying. Daughter, you're doing a great job. I'm, I'm really encouraged by your efforts. I'm loving hearing your voice. Not a finger wag, not a... Come on, get it together. Better luck next time. You see, this is what Jesus has done for you. He, he is your prayer life from start to finish. Are you ready to pray? Let's do that together. Father, thank you that 
Not only do you answer our questions, but you take them so much further. And then you lead us to, to want the very same things. We're thankful to you, Jesus, that you have shown us what it looks like to talk to our Heavenly Father. We confess that we, we're either negligent or passive or maybe even we trivialize the, the moments we have for you. Lord, forgive us. But most of all, help us to see the joy you have for us because of Christ's finished work alone and our efforts to connect with you through the scriptures, through the voices you've given us to know you and be known by you. Move toward us, your people, ever so kindly, ever so faithfully, as we learn to speak to you with honesty, with sincerity, with humor, with anger, as you lead us by your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.